0: You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this discipleship group refinement series, we unpack our church's plan to walk in obedience to God by growing people who are disciple-making disciples of Christ. So again, t- today we're going to step away a little bit from the book of Luke, ma- mainly for the most of this, um, this month. We'll be taking a look at one section of our discipleship group. Now don't think, oh, I'm new here or I'm not part of a discipleship group yet or my schedule or the season of life has not allowed me to be in a discipleship group, that's okay. These are all good practical things that we do as a faith family as we care and love for one another and do all the different one another's that's within Scripture. So don't think that just because we're kind of focused in trying to help what happens when we come together in our discipleship groups that, oh, I'm not in one of them so it doesn't count. No, this this is more about... Building a faith family and something that I will say that uh, um, later on, this idea of a culture of care. That's what we're trying to create in, in a culture of, of care, that we care and truly love one another and um, care for each other as Christ cared for us. This little handout is just a, a guide, and this is actually for all three uh, sermons that I'll be doing. One, two, three. Um, so keep that for the month. And also, what will happen is after I'm done, we will kind of shorten this and put this in a in a document and give it to you as far as um, putting into our booklet on what discipleship groups are and and things like this. So just to try to get you to understand where I'm coming from, what I'm trying to help with, is like when we sit down together in our discipleship groups and we're reading scripture, right? That's the head part, where we've read scripture over the week or two weeks, whatever time it is in between groups. And we basically ask those main four hermeneutical questions that we're trying to get everybody to learn and practice and see within scripture. And that is, who is God? What has he done? Who am I in light of what God has done? Right And how am I to live? And so those are like the hermeneutical questions that we're trying to ask. And, and kind of think of the understanding of who God is, who we are, what He has done. Okay, so now how am I going to live in, in light of that? So we, we want you to be doing that each and every time that, that you meet. And that's kind of the, the head part of of what's going on, the understanding. Again, i, I, I inter, not introduced, but reiterated the idea of the dynamic heart last week, you know, where we talked about the understandings, the emotion, and the volition, the will. And, and this is going to be filled with that. All, all three weeks that we're going to be talking about this, you're going to see how we. it's the understanding, the emotion, and the volition. It's all engaged, the inner man. It's all engaged in everything that we do. So we're sitting down with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are, we are gaining this understanding of who God is, who we are. And a lot of times what happens is when we truly understand who we are, as Nate alluded to, what we find out is we are not like God. We are not holy. We have some issues, and that's fine. We're, we're all messy people trying to live together on earth until one day, we get to go and be with Christ and, and the mess is all gone. So again, as we gather together, we're, we're trying to, 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 you know, to um, have that understanding come through answering those four questions with, uh, with the Bible and whatever we're reading at that time. Again, that's our understanding. It's, it's what we're trying to understand. And even within those, those questions, We can see the understanding, the emotion, and the the will kind of being engaged with those three questions that we use. The understanding, what do you think about God and yourself? The effective part of the inner man, the heart. What has he done? Emotions, values, desires. As you see what all he has done for you to save you, it is going to change your values. It's going to change your desires. It'll give you some emotion, to come to whenever, especially when we gather together as a faith family on a Sunday morning. But as we see that in scripture, it's going to, it's going to enlighten these different things within us. By seeing what he has done, it shapes our desires. It shapes our desires. And then out of those desires is what we choose, is what we do, and how we live, what choices you are making. And then the last component that we're not going to talk about, there's three components to our discipleship group. We said that it's, it's about the head, the understanding, it's about the heart. That's what we're mainly going to be unpacking over three weeks. And then the habits. These are the habits, the things that we think that a disciple would be good if they were doing. If we can look at this parts of your life and say, okay, there's some fruit here. Then we, we know that you are a disciple who is being discipled and hopefully you are discipling others in this way. And I'm just going to quickly name these things, and obviously they come from the other parts of our discipleship group. Um, the habit of reading the Bible, right? We, we want you to just read it. And not just read it to gain knowledge and understanding, but to read it because it is God who is revealing himself to you. It's about the relationship. It is so much more. It's about the relationship with your Savior, that you get to open up and read his word and he speaks to you and you get to speak to him. So the habit of reading the Bible, the habit of change. We mean the habit of change? I don't like change, I know. Many of us don't like change, but we know we need to change and the Bible tells us we need to change. In fact, it says that God's will for us is for us to be sanctified, to change from one glory to another. So if you are a born again Christian, you have no choice but to change because the Holy Spirit is not gonna allow you to stay where you're at. Right, He's either, you're either going to go with him or he will drag you there. One way or the other, God's will will come about in your life because he is God and his will is for us to be sanctified. So we want to embrace that. We want to be a habit, we want to be looking for that. Another habit we have is a habit, and I call it this rupture and repair. This is how trust is gained. How are you going to trust your brother and sister? Well, it's the same way that you trust your spouse or you trust your sibling or you trust your parents. It's through rupture and repair. In other words, the relationship has to be ruptured on some sense, not completely. Don't blow it out of the water. I'm saying ruptured in the sense that (sighs) I don't wanna say this, but I have to say this because I love my brother and sister enough to say it to them. That's love. And it might rupture the repair the relationship for a time. They might get mad at you and not talk to you for a little while, okay. But you you pursue them and you go after them. And then you speak the truth in love. You repair the relationship with the Word of God. And you can't repair the relationship with the Word of God if you are not reading the Word of God, if you don't know the Word of God. We can't stick the Word of God underneath our pillow and go to sleep at night and expect when we get up in the morning that, oh, I got the Word of God, it's good to go, it doesn't work that way we got to put a little effort in. We have to read the word. So it's through this idea of rupture and repairing and speaking the truth in love to one another. Another habit we would like to foster to create within a disciple who makes disciple is repentance and praying for one another. Repentance is not a bad word. It's a good thing. It means you are turning from trusting yourself or other things, uh, idols or other things in this world, and you're turning and trusting to Jesus Christ. That's repentance. That's the essence of it. We need to do that often. We need to. I know I do. I'll raise both hands on that one. <laughs> we also want this habit, and it's, and it's kind of spoken about a little bit in, in our passage, or actually a lot about in our, in our Philippians passage that I read today, is this habit of self-forgetfulness. In other words, that, that we live our lives, right? As, as Philippians, as Paul said in here, um, counting others more significant than ourselves. I mean, just stop, be honest. We take these little words, how many words is that? Count others more significant than ourselves, six words. If you took those six words and everybody on this planet lived it out, how much would change? How much would change in our church, in our community? How much would change within your own house? If you thought and lived, I mean, we just, we're at, most of us were at a wedding yesterday, and, and as, as Daniel's unpacking Ephesians 5, and he's calling Eric to say, You must love Lydia as Christ loved the church and gave herself for us. So in other words, every husband that is sitting here, every husband that ever says, I do, they must live this out. That you live your life all the time thinking that your spouse, the people around, are more significant than you. You are serving them and loving them in that way. So we wanna create this habit that we're always thinking of other's self. And it was was really neat that, that at this wedding, there was a, you know, a lot of our church family there, a lot of her family, obviously, and her church family was there. And just the, like, those that were there at a wedding, but also thinking of Lydia and Eric more significant than themselves, because they were all serving at the wedding. So, Eric and Lydia didn't have to worry about it. It It's like, it's a great picture of this self-forgetfulness. It's like, they could take the attitude, I'm at a wedding. This is, I'm here to enjoy this. But no, they, they were serving and loving on their brother and sister in Christ. Just a wonderful picture of the church and the gospel. And, and the last habit we want is, is being accountable. In other, in other words, you should desire that somebody is holding you accountable. Because if not, man, uh, our hearts will, will drag ourselves into worshiping these different idols and we'll go to the left and we'll go to the right. We won't stay on the narrow path. But we need to be held accountable. So that's a habit that we want to create within not only our faith family, but our D groups as well. So this is kind of the habits we're looking at and we believe that they make a disciple who is also making disciples. And again, what I would like to kind of do the rest of this month, this and two more messages, is to unpack the heart part of them. So like, okay, we're come together, we've, we've read scripture, you know, we, we might be holding each other accountable, and, and someone sees within scripture something about themselves that they're like, okay, God has, has kind of put a spotlight on this, and I need help with this, right? So how are we going to go about doing that? How are we going to go about actually helping that person with the gospel, which is actually the third message? We've got to build some foundation before we get there. But how are we going to help, how are we going to speak the truth and love to this person who is is either knows a sin that they are they're they're struggling with or God has just shown them something through the scripture reading that they had this past week? But how are we going to love them? Or maybe it's just the world around them has come crashing in. And how are we going to love them through their suffering? How are you going to care for them through the suffering? Because it's not always sin. Many times it's suffering. Many times it's just the world around us, our body fails in different things, and now I'm getting way ahead of myself. But it's the suffering that we we try to walk with each other in. So that's kind of what I want to focus in on. This is what we, we, we put it under a, a title of heart, but it's just what's happening within our faith family, within our D group? Again, over the next three weeks, my desire is just to help you do this better. Um, I will be pulling the outline. I've kind of filled in our own context and our own things, but there's a really good book that many of you have seen the the first page of our website where we talk about we're just messy people with messy lives trying to point one another to Jesus. Well, there's a book called Loving Messy People. And so I'm just kind of taking the outline and trying to put our context and, and what we're doing here in that. And and the subtitle to the book is The Messy Art of Helping One Another Become More Like Jesus. That's the church. And there's also some of what Paul Tripp and how people change um, is within here. And just so you know, it's like we've been over the last two, three years just been trying to understand better how to apply the gospel to our lives. It started with, many of you attended with us um, a, a seminar and a book called Gospel Fluency. And it's like, how can we speak the truth to one another? How do we speak the gospel to one another? And, and we kind of went through that and saw some gaps and different things and, and then kind of figured out, okay, where did he get much of his information? Well, it seems like all these ideas and all the you know, what they would call practical theology on on the end of how people change and and how to help one another and love one another in this way. It all really comes from Paulison and and Paul Tripp. And they get it from the Bible, of course. They are so Bible-saturated. Um, so as we've been digging and trying to help us to do this well, is just their information is, is built upon and, and the way they think about it and the way the Word of God thinks about it and just how they have expressed it, keeps building upon and people say it different ways and different times um, to help it at different situations. So we've just been building upon that over, over the last couple years. Again, if you think uh, back to last week with me, I mentioned that the strategy that we have taken as elders is to invest in people, not programs. We want to invest in people, not programs. Our philosophy of ministry is to grow people who are disciple-making disciples of Christ. That's what we talk about. We talk, when we have an elder meeting, we're not talking about this program, that program, this program. Yes, there are some business things we talk about, but we're talking about people. We're talking about who's struggling here, or how can we help this person here, or how do we do this better, or how do we create this environment better? It's all about people. So we think that our philosophy is to grow people who are disciple-making disciples of Christ. And see, you're not quite a disciple unless you are pouring into somebody else. That's the definition. That's what Jesus has called us to. It's Christianity is not something that you just come in and consume, right? You just, you don't come in and consume it. You gotta let it out. That's, that's how God works in you, is yes, you do, you come and you get filled out, and then as you pour it out, as you teach others, not only do you remember it better, by some margin of like 75% better, as you teach somebody else or tell somebody, But that's what we want to do. We want to be disciples who make disciples, who care and love for one another. A D group is one environment that has been created for this to take place. Is to grow people, to be more like Christ, to be more like Jesus. And some of you is like, you know, I've been chasing this, and you can ask the other elders, and you can even ask the elder um, training uh, guys that are in that that I've been chasing this thing. It's like, you know, how in the world do we? And boy, I use this word, Ari. I have trepidation even saying it, but it's it's like, what what are we offering? What are we trying to show people that is so much better if you would actually spend some time to grow and be more like Jesus? It's like it's it's okay. The, you know, the, the Sermon on the Mount talks about blessed or a more fulfilling life. It's happy, that's a bad word. That's, that's just because we've, we've kind of disintegrated that word here in our culture. And it's this joy. It's, it's something that's very hard to put in the words, but man, when you see it, when you see the joy that comes from, from loving others and serving others and doing what the Bible says and becoming more like Christ... That joy, that, that life that's lived out, I mean, you, you put your finger on it, you're like, that's it, right? And that's what we're after. That's what, what we're trying to accomplish in our efforts to build people, to build a life that, that looks like that. I would imagine that every single one of you have bumped into somebody like that in your life. I mean, sometimes we call it, oh, that person is super spiritual, or that person is super, no. They just know that there is greater joy in killing their sin and moving and being more like Christ than living in their sin and perpetuating that life. I've had so many people in my life like that. Neville M. Don Harvey. It's just like, whatever it is, I'll take that. I'll take that. They walk with God In such a way, they know him so desperately, deeply, and want to know him so desperately. Paul told us in Ephesians that as an elder and as a church, we are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. This word ministry at its simplest form can be defined this way. The prayerful speaking of God's word by one person to another. The prayerful speaking of God's word by one person to another. There's ministry. It's not what ha- not exact- only what happens up on this platform or not what happens on here or happens there. It's prayerful speaking of God's word by one person to another. Which means that everyone who is born again and has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, who has had the veil removed so that they, they see the word of God and see Jesus for who he is, Is in ministry. Everybody. The person that's been walking with them for 40 years and the person that's been walking with them for 10 minutes. Because what you have, if you've been walking with them for 10 minutes, is the fresh experience of being born again, and you need to go tell everybody about that experience. You have something to give, you have the word to give to somebody else. We're all in ministry. Every believer in Christ is on a mission. Again, Christianity is not consumeristic. It's missional. We are on mission. We have a purpose. We've been called out to do something. Ephesians tells us he saved us for the works he had for us. There that has been made and repeated is we think ministry as only a corporate endeavor, I think. We think that, oh, ministry is only what happens whenever we get a few people together and when we call that a ministry and we go do ministry. No, that's not. It is, but it's not all that it is. What happens in corporate ministry is a bunch of people that are ministering personally are gathering together to do ministry together. We just think sometimes that this idea that ministry is only corporate and not personal. However, all ministry is personal. Yes, some ministry has again been scaled to speak God's word to many people at the same time. We are all called to do ministry, and ministry is personal. Sometimes we join with others to form a corporate ministry. And all ministry can be simply summed up in four simple words love God and love people. Love God and love people. Everything you and I are called to essentially um, is essentially an application of our love of God and our love for people. I can give you the best outline for what to do in a discipleship group, but if your motivation is not love, we're just, as Paul would say, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. We learn this from Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew 22:35 through 40, he says this. And one of them, a lawyer asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is, this, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love your Lord with your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends, depends all the law and the prophets. So we are created. So the overarching thing that happens within a discipleship group or within a faith family that wants to create a culture of care is love. That's like the overarching thing that happens. And what we're going to do is unpack maybe four ways that we can look at loving one another. We are created to love. We are created to worship. We are reminded 54 times in the New Testament to love one another. Love one another. Love one another. God demonstrated his love for us in the most radical way through sending his son to pay the penalty you and I deserve for our rebellion. The more we understand of Christ's love, the more we come to understand love itself. Love is not just a feeling. It's so much more than that. For it is through Christ that God defines for us what love is. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He paid the penalty that we deserve. And what we must notice, again, as we're looking at love as more than just an emotion, it's connected to action. You're, you're moving towards somebody. If you love somebody, you need to take action. You need to move towards them. Love is a pursuit of another. So if you're a disciple who is making disciples, if you're sitting here today and say, yes, you would, if I ask the question, I am a disciple of Jesus, I would ask a follow-up question, then who are you pursuing? Who are you pouring whatever you have in your cup into their cup? Who are you pursuing? Love is a pursuit of another, just like Christ pursued us when he stepped out of heaven. Having received such love, it is only natural that we would love in return. This is our motivation. It's the love that Christ and God has shown us is why we love. Scripture tells us our love for God comes in many forms. It comes through prayer. You want to show how you love God? What's your prayer life looking like? How much time do you spend talking to your Savior, to God, the one that created you? Obedience, singing, sacrifice. These are just some ways that Scripture tells us our love for God comes in these forms. But the most fundamental form is loving others. 1 John 4, 11 through 12 says, "Beloved, loved, if God so loved us, "'we also ought to love one another. "'No one has ever seen God. "'If we love one another, God abides in us, "'and his love is perfected in us.'" His love is perfected in us. "'No one has ever seen God. "'If we love one another, then God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us as we take the action to love one another. One of the key ways we show our love for Him is to humbly and sacrificially love others. So the, the natural question is, what is love? What is love? Well, to help us understand that maybe a little bit better, we can go back to the inner man and the dynamic heart and look at the different ways that our inner man works. Love manifests itself in our thoughts. Loving someone is thinking of them in a certain way. The Bible says we are to think of them more significant than ourselves. That's love. You are thinking that person more significant than yourself. This is our Philippians passage, verses 3 through 5. Do nothing from self-ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves, that each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So in other words, his thought, his understanding was to think of us more significant than himself. Therefore, he stepped out of heaven to come and be a human with the intention of going to the cross. Loving others the way Christ does means thinking of others the way Christ did. So that's how we're defining, we're kind of unpacking this idea of what, what is love. Well, it's, it's thinking a certain way about people. To love like Jesus loved means choosing to think like Jesus thought in a consistently and sacrificially other-focused way. That person, no matter if he's in my D group or I'm married to him or they're my sibling or they're just my coworker, I mean, how would that change your tensions right now? Every one of us could probably, if, we, if I, I was say, get a piece of paper out, write someone that you're in tension with. I bet you everybody has somebody. Has a little bit of tension, a little bit of friction. But how much of that would just fall away if you thought of them more significant than yourself and started serving them and loving them? It would absolutely change the whole dynamic of the relationship. But love is is more than just thinking differently about someone. Love also manifests itself in our emotions. Love has a powerfully emotional component. Or as Piper would say, it does have a self-satisfying joy. Now, if I'm talking about our desires, there's no better person to go than to Piper. He's written books about it. In fact, you can go to the back and read a book about desiring God. And then you could even go to the back and say, what if I don't desire God? Well, he has a book for that too. The problem comes, as Piper says, when we use love to seek out our own self-centered joy. Do you catch that? That is so much of the love that our culture is living out. Is is what it is, is I love you for what you do for me. And then as soon as you stop doing for me, oh, I'm done with you. I cast you aside. And unfortunately, maybe this idea of love is just as prevalent inside the church as outside the church, because when you look at the divorce rates, they're the same. They're the same. Do you think that person more significant than yourself? Do you love them? Or are they just there? Are you just loving them for your own self-centered joy? This is not love at all. This is just a form of self-love. Piper goes on and says, says this. Love does not seek its own private, limited joy, but instead seeks its own joy in the good, the salvation and edification of others. In this way, we begin to love the way God loves. He loves because he delights to love. He does not seek to hide from himself the reward of love, lest his act be ruined by the anticipated joy that come from it. The joy that comes from actually thinking others more significant than yourself and loving and serving them. There's a a great joy to that. For God, the reward of love is the joy that comes from the impact of love on the hearts of his recipients. I mean, stop and think about that. For God, this is, so we're just saying, what what has given God joy? The reward of love is the joy that comes from the impact of love on the hearts of its recipients. Loving others equals greater joy. And we know this from Christ. Hebrews twelve two says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Get this fruit. And I know I, I use this passage a lot. It's just a great passage. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. And just let me remind you yet again. You are that joy. You are that joy. So, love is how you think, how you desire, and love, finally, is what you choose to do your actions, your will. We choose to love one another. Christ's love for us did not stop short of being put into action, and our love shouldn't either. Love is neither authentic nor complete until it demonstrates itself in tangible ways. In tangible ways. Outward actions. This is, I think, why the, I mean, so we have Jesus setting up that love, right, it's the it's great commandment. It's, it's what we, we love God and we love one another. And then all sprinkled through the, the New Testament is all these one another's that we are to do. It's to take action and to show this love. We are to bear with one another, encourage one another, build up one another. All these different one another's that are within the Bible. Some 50 of them. And right here, this love, this idea of love is kind of where we're going to drill down a little bit more and, and double click, if you will, on that idea. What was it looking like to love one another within discipleship groups or within a faith family? How can we put love into action in, in this atmosphere, in this environment? We're going to unpack four categories, but don't worry. We're just doing one today, just doing one today. And the four categories, just so you have them, is patiently knowing, sacrificially serving, truthfully speaking, and consistently applying the gospel, or gospeling, if you would so let's look at the first one. Patiently knowing, loving one another begins by knowing one another. How do you, how do you love someone that you don't know? I mean, you can, in some sense, you love people in many ways. We we would go and love and serve somebody that we don't know, like someone in a disaster area or someone that had struggle. Yes, but whenever we're talking about a faith family or a culture of care or loving on one another within a discipleship group we got to know who they are first. And there's some things that we can do to, to know them. And I know some of these things are basic, but do we really do them or do we fall into the, some of the traps that, that were given, that has been given, that I'm about to give? Knowing begins with listening. And some of you like, ha, ah, I had intro to psych class. I know how to do that, right? I lean in and I do all that. No, it's a little bit more... Than that Proverbs 18:13 says, "If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame." In other words, if you're going to open your mouth before you've truly heard the person across from you, the Bible says it's folly. It's folly. Speaking or acting before truly listening and understanding isn't an act of love, it's an act of folly. It must also be said that knowing a person is different from knowing about a person or about their struggles. Do you know that person? We are often content to learn some basic facts about a person or about their situation without taking the time to truly know the person as a unique image-bearing individual. See, there's the barrier that gets broken down. Why should I invest in this person? Because they are made in the image of God. Because God created them. That's why we should invest in them. We have a good teacher. Jesus listened well and was always listening for the heart, the root of all situations. We talked you can go back to last week to see a little bit of that. So the first step in knowing is to patiently listen. Listening isn't easy. There are all kinds of dynamics that fight against good listening, both inside of us and outside of us. So there are some things that are happening that, that might keep us from patiently listening to someone. And the number one thing with inside of us is self-focus. is the most significant internal. Barrier that we need to come over to actually listen to someone is this self-focus? Are we are we more focused on ourselves than that person? How is how is what they are saying affecting me or going to affect me? Is are we thinking that like oh I'm about to say something or maybe we're talking and they're going to say something? It's like are are are, is our only thoughts about us? How is this going to affect me? How is this going to change me? Is this going to make me late for this? Is this going to, what have you? Whatever it is in life, whatever is going through, you're going through, whatever situation you're in. If you're listening with the sense that, how is this going to affect me, then you're not truly listening to that person. Another internal enemy is the response. Oh, the response. As soon as someone starts telling us what they're suffering with or maybe how sin has grasped them in a certain area of life, what are we doing? Oh, man, I, must, I gotta have something to say. I better have something to say. And we're formulating a response and we're not listening. And in fact, what we're doing, we're doing the first thing. We're, self, we're so focused on ourselves in order to formulate a response so that that person thinks that I'm competent enough to, to love on them and, 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 and help them that you're not listening to them. Because we're so worried about making a response, formulating a response. We fail to listen to what the person is saying. Those are like the two main internal things that's happening. We're either focused on ourselves, and actually the other one stems from that, is now we're trying to to build a response. We're trying to build a response. We need to stop and we need to listen to what they're saying. There's also some external factors. The primary external factor is simply the amount of information we take in on a daily basis. It's just the world we live in today. We take in, as our brains, a lot of information in one day. So sometimes it's hard to to stop and to truly listen to somebody. It's kind of like Our brains today is kind of like when you open up that that big program on your computer and the fan kicks on and you know that it's using up just about all the RAM the computer has. It's kind of like that's how we are all the time. It's like our brains are are being bombarded with so much information that that the fan is on all the time. (laughs) We have no more RAM to give, so therefore it's hard for us to pause and take time to listen, to take time to listen to patiently listen. Not only do we gotta be aware of the internal-external factors, if we're going to patiently listen, it'll require intentionality. We don't listen well by accident. It can't be a passive thing. It has to be intentional. Um, First step is to patiently listen, the second is to ask good questions, or just to ask questions. And we're so sometimes we're so caught up in in actually formulating the response that that we don't truly understand what's going on, so therefore we fail to ask questions. Proverbs 25 says, 20, verse 5 says, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water. But a man of understanding will draw it out. Saying that the things in your heart, the things in your inner man are deep. But someone who understands, someone who cares and loves for you, someone is taking the time, will draw it out of you. I'll give you five questions that you can maybe jot down. You can use, but, and again, you'll get this all on paper, uh, but I just want to keep this in mind. The key to asking good questions, here's like the, the building block behind this, the key to asking good questions is you genuinely want to know, genuinely want to know the answer. Right, you're, you're, not, you're not just asking questions so you can end this, this time together so you can move on to the next thing, but that you genuinely want to know the answer to the questions because you genuinely care about that person. And, and good questions really isn't from a list that I'm about to give you or any list that you can obt- obtain. But good questions come from genuine curiosity that you want to know. why, why? Why? If anybody's had a 10-year-old, you know that switch. They go from, okay, dad, whatever you say, to why? 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 Why do I got to do that? Why do I got to do that? Well, that's just curiosity. Some of it's genuine, and some of it's just to annoy you as a parent, but such is life, right? Such is life. So here's some questions. Someone's talking about their suffering or maybe a sin or and they're speaking to you, and again, these come straight from Paul Tripp, maybe you could ask the person what was going on. What was going on in this situation? Have them describe the situation. What were you thinking and feeling? Now we're, see we're talking about the inner man. What were you thinking about? What what was your emotions? What were you feeling? Right? And just, no, I won't go there. Um What did you do in response is the third question. What did you do in response? In other words, they're talking about the situation. Well, how did you respond to it? And then the next question is why did you do it? Why did you respond that way? What were you seeking to accomplish? And then the last question is just to get them to evaluate the whole situation. What was the result? What was the result? So there are some questions. Again, you will get them. We'll get them out to you in print form. Um, what is going on? What were you thinking or feeling? What did you do in response? Why did you do it? What were you seeking to accomplish? And what was the result? So we, in order to patiently listen, we ask questions and do, and do some interpreting is the next thing. Interpreting in light of a biblical worldview. We are asking ourselves two questions as we interpret what we are hearing. And again, I've already mentioned these. We are patiently listening and asking good questions so that we can interpret whether the person is suffering or sinning. Whether they're suffering or sinning. And we're thinking to ourselves, we're trying to interpret as they are talking to us and we are listening to them, is this person just suffering from things such as the fallen body, or our fallen environment, or our fallen culture, or fallen friends and family, because we're all in that world. So are they just suffering? Are you listening patiently, asking good questions, and interpreting, are they suffering, or are they just simply sinning? And then now you gotta do the awkward thing and and, and maybe point them to the scripture and, And rupture that relationship so that you can repair it with the gospel and show them where they're sinning. In what ways is this person sinning? In self-focused behavior, here's the heart. It's just the three things. Are they acting a certain way that's sinning? Are they thinking a certain way that's sinning? Or are they feeling a certain way that's sin? Because a lot of times we feel a certain way that's not true. And lastly, in who or what are, in who or what he or she is ultimately worshiping. Now we're getting to that heart: worship. We are loving someone by trying to get to know them, and we do so by first patiently listening to them, asking good questions, and then take what you are hearing and plugging it into a biblical worldview. The last thing we do in getting to know people is to consider what is most needed. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, and let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And let us consider how to encourage, how to build up. Let us consider. So the last thing we should do is, as we're patiently listening, we're asking good Questions, then we're putting it through a, a worldview that says, is this person suffering or sinning? And then we need to take time to reflect and ask God, how should we respond to this? How should we respond? When we don't consider what is most needed, our words and actions don't convey love, but disregard. So what are some things that we need to consider? Consider our circumstances. Um, We we do a bit of triage. What are the biggest issues this person is facing? How are those issues? Coloring everything else they are experiencing. Sometimes it's like, sometimes you might be facing someone that is sinning against you. And the reason why they're sinning against you is because the environment or something that's going on in their life, the circumstances of their life. Consider their capacity. We don't try to address everything we consider what is most needed. Thankfully, God doesn't show us, once we are saved, all of our sin at one time. He leaks them out over a lifetime. That would just crush us if if he did that. And we need to take the same understanding. This is about getting to know somebody. You won't know what capacity they have if you don't spend time with them and to get to know them. Consider their commitment. Are they committed to change? Because sometimes some people just are not committed to changing, maybe at this point in time or ever, but that's between them and God, and the Holy Spirit will fix that. And at this point in time, you're saying, Joe, this is all sounds good, but just impossible to remember and to use. I understand that. Well, no, it's not. If we begin to practice, and these practices become the culture of a church, if we create a culture of care, I would think most of it is already happening. Maybe we just need to work on being more intentional about it. What we are aiming to create is a culture of care within our faith family. There is no script for loving people. There's no script for getting to know people. You take the love of God and the word of God and the Spirit of God, and you go, and you pursue somebody, and you love on them. And let me close by just reminding us why we do this. Why do we do this? We're going back to our Philippians passage. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, even death on a cross. This is our motivation because of what Christ has done for us, because of what Christ has done for us. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word Lord, I thank you that you challenge us and have called us to love one another. Lord, I thank you that you have designed the church this way that we are called to love one another. Lord, I pray that you would help us to listen to one another. Lord, that you would help us to get to know one another. Not just on the cursory level of, hey, how you doing? But Lord, help us to know one another. To pursue each other in a way that points each other to, to Christ. Nor thankful you have given us a helper to do so. Not only did you give us the word of God, but Lord, you've given us your spirit that dwells in us and helps us to do so. Lord, I pray today if anyone sitting here that doesn't know you, Lord, Lord, as we sang songs and as we've unpacked the gospel in many different ways, Lord, I pray that you have changed the hearts so they will stop trusting in themselves and trust in you, Lord, for salvation. Lord, I pray that you would make that happen today. Father, just help us. Help us to love one another as you have loved us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.